0: This week's episode of Four Real is sponsored by The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows by John Koenig. A truly original book in every sense of the word, The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows poetically defines emotions that we all feel but never had the words to express until now. Author John Koenig began his journey to name the unnameable over a decade ago. In an epic quest which began as an online project and has since grown into an acclaimed YouTube series, viral TED Talks, and inspired everything from song titles to tattoos. Bestselling author of The Fault in Our Stars, John Green, says, The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows creates beautiful new words that we need but do not yet have. And Bustle calls The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows your daily dose of beautiful. Utterly original and filled with never-before-published definitions, each word in The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows is stitched together from parts of other languages, contains real etymology, and has carefully detailed source notes and inspiration. Interspersed with the thought-provoking definitions are snapshots and illustrations, poignant meditations, and essays which explore the forgotten corners of the human condition. The perfect gift for readers, poetry lovers, book collectors, and word nerds, the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows is especially essential for anyone who has ever pondered over the affable feelings that make up our lives. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backless finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukura, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording on Friday, December 3rd. Hello, Alice. How are you today?
1: I'm doing fine. Hello. <laughs> we,
0: <laughs> my mom would roast me for that as a descriptor, <laughs> just like the, the least saying thing thing of anything. It's true. How are you? I I too am fine. (laughs) You know, I feel like it's, I don't know, it hit me, I think maybe like around the time we recorded the last podcast that we're like, there are not that many days and weeks left of 2021. And that feels like now that it is December, like it just sort of hit me in the face. that like, this year is almost over and we do not have a lot of time. And I have a lot of events and things planned (laughs) between now and the end of the year. So I'm feeling a little like, a little little frazzled, I guess, of just how are all these things going to happen? And I'm still going to have the like introvert time that I demand. Oh, it's that holiday. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: holiday stress, which I guess we had last year, but like in a different way where it was just sort of uh, a lot more solitude and
0: sadness. Yeah. There wasn't like there were things, but they were not things out in the world necessarily. So it was a much more chill season. I had forgotten that like part of maybe the frazzlednesses of having not done this for like for two years basically yeah getting like back into the all of the all of all of it Well and it takes up a whole lot of emotional energy I found like if mm-hmm. I am
1: leaving my home or even having people over I, f- I feel like it's just a lot more energy than it even used to be which I've always been like kind of like you know oh I would like to be by myself in my home. For forever, maybe, <laughs> and like chat with people on the phone. I love doing that, but mm. it's just it, I, yeah. I've had to spend a lot more time psyching myself up. My wife and I saw her family for Thanksgiving, and that was really fun. But it was also like a lot of together time, and I I think that. And then since coming back, it's been. Really busy. And so I told you right before we started, I'm so excited that after we do this, I have nothing to do for like 24 hours. And I'm just like, that's amazing. And just getting that time by yourself to just do things that are invigorating and refreshing. It just feels especially important right now.
0: Yeah. And see, like I got through the week and then now I have things on Saturday and Sunday and then work on Monday and something Monday night and then work on Tuesday and then something Tuesday night. And then it just kind of feels like it's just going and going. And there's very few no uh, activity days between now and the end of the year, basically. That's so
1: hard. I, when I was younger, I had a compulsion to fill out my calendar. Like if I had a blank spot, I would have to like schedule something for it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up putting a block on certain evenings and just putting do nothing. So it would be like, yeah. there is something on my calendar, <laughs> but it yeah. is an order to not do anything.
0: Yeah, there's this, Um, she's an author and like And influencer isn't the right word, but her name is Kendra, and, and her book's The Lazy Genius. And she's got all these, like, principles for being a lazy genius, which she talks about as being, like, lazy about things that matter and a genius about things that do. And one of her principles is house rules. And she had a post recently about one of her house rules for December is they have to be home three nights a week. Because for her family, if they're not home three nights a week, it just, like, makes everything really hard and so then because that's the rule for december if they have like things that come up they're like hey let's go out to dinner do this thing and it doesn't fit with that rule then they're like no i'm sorry we have to wait till january and i i saw that and i was like oh dang i should have thought of that like three weeks ago before i scheduled all of december (laughs) so that i could also do that so it's a tip for the the next year i I suppose yeah i mean it's all it's a learning process yeah exactly are you have you been reading anything lately I feel like I've been reading a
1: lot. Uh, I read a ton of books in November. I don't know why. I just got really into just any free time that I had when I wasn't just watching trash TV. I was (laughs) like, I would like to focus on reading. That's awesome. Yeah, I finished Wave by Sonali Dharani Yagala, which was a a book that I've checked out a few times. You've read it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you talked about it like a couple years ago, and I kept mm-hmm. checking it out and reading part of it. And it's not even a long book, but it's so heavy. Mm-hmm. This is Sonali lost her family, her husband, her two sons, her parents in the 2004 tsunami when she they were visiting in um or I guess staying kind of living in Sri Lanka. And the the actual tragedy, the event, does not take up a large space. The book is primarily about her grief. And so it is a little hard, um, especially if you're, you know, like dealing with grief on some level, but also helpful because she's so honest about her experience of grieving and what the emotions she went through. And it's over a process of I think it's over like six years Mm -hmm. that she talks about in the book. And then, of course, after the book, she married Fiona Shaw, which (laughs) was just such a left turn from what I well, like, I guess, like from the. I don't know the topic of the book, the the way that she talks about her life in the book. It just doesn't seem like. And then I married this famous actress, I guess semi-famous actress, and I'm just like, how did they meet? And all this. Anyway, she needs to do a second book. But it was real. I mean, it was really good for the fact that I checked it out like three times, and finished <laughs> it. But it it was really good.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I love that one. Uh, I, too, finished a book. I did achieve my goal of only reading nonfiction in November, except for one uh, YA audiobook. But all the other reads were... I know I was really proud of myself. But the last one I finished, like on the last day of the month, was um, Shelf Life Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller by Nadia Wassef, which... I think I talked about it on the podcast a couple of times, but it's a memoir uh, she wrote about her experiences starting a books- or opening a bookstore in Egypt and um, kind of the whole trajectory of that store and how it connected to her own personal life changes. And it's really a good memoir. It's um, organized by bookstore sections. And so she writes about that section of the bookstore and like how it contributed to sort of the overall bookstore experience and then like her own personal kind of connections to like that genre. There's a lot in it about like Egyptian and Arab readers versus English readers and about translations and about trying to choose books for different types of audiences that the bookstore has. And she's super frank and like just really intense. And it's it's so fun. So that one is definitely a new book that came out this year that I recommend, Shelf Life Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller by Nadia Wassef.
1: Oh, I got a copy of that, and I really want to start it. It's it's another one of those books that like the design of the book itself is really cool, and it's not that yeah. long, and it looks really interesting. So yeah, yeah,
0: great. Yeah, it's not real. It's not long. It's a, uh, qu- it's a quickish read for sure. Less than two hundred fifty pages, I think. So all right. So with that, we will uh, jump into our first sponsored, uh, which is Sipsby. Is there anything better than coloring up with a new book and a hot cup of tea? Sips by makes discovering tea fun, personalized, and affordable. The Sips by box is the only multi-brand personalized tea subscription box. Each month, Sips by matches you with delicious teas from over 150 global tea brands, big and small, based on your unique preferences. Gift cards and subscriptions are available at www.sipsby.com. So, if you subscribe, you'll receive four new teas each month chosen just for you. Each box includes loose leaf, bag teas, or a mixture of both based on your preferences and makes 16 or more cups of tea. Sipsby accounts for your caffeine tolerance, flavor preference, and even your dietary needs. So, um, I have purchased Sipsby before. It is really, really fun. You fill out a quiz and they. Um, Decide what teas they want to send you based on that. You can, you know, tell them flavors you like and flavors you don't like. You can tell them, you know, what your caffeine tolerance is. And then they send you this really um, mixed box. And the thing that I always liked about it was that I like to try new teas, but when you buy a whole box and then try it and decide you don't like it, it feels really wasteful to have that like whole box of tea bags or whatever that you're not going to use because you don't like it. And I have never, like, found a good way to get rid of them. And so I, like, sips by because I only get, like, four of each kind. And if you don't like it, then you just kind of get rid of that and move on. But I found some really good tea um, flavors and brands from that experience. So uh, if you follow Sipsby, that's S-I-P-S-B-Y, on Instagram, you'll see weekly giveaways and more. For podcast listeners only, use the code FORREAL for 50% off your first Sipsby box at www.sipsby.com. All right. And so with that, we will jump into nonfiction in the news. Uh, we just have one story for this week. I don't know. Alice, do you want to talk about it or should I?
1: Uh, I feel like this is your... Dude, so I think you should talk about it.
0: All right, I will. So the news story we have for you is that Barack Obama may become a three-time winner of a Grammy. Uh, His book, uh, his latest book, A Promised Land, was nominated for Best Spoken Word Album. And he has previously won Grammys for both of his um, previous memoirs in 2006. He won for Dreams from My Father. And then two years later, he won again for The Audacity of Hope. So he is up for a third Grammy for his audiobook of his, the first part of his presidential memoirs. Interestingly, the other nominees for Spoken Word Grammy this year are Dave Chappelle, Lavar Burton, and Don Cheadle, which two of those people are cool and one of them's not, so that's interesting. But yeah, I did listen to A Promised Land on audiobook. That is the only way I was going to finish an enormous presidential memoir, and I liked it. So it will be interesting to find out if Barack Obama is a three-time Grammy winner. That would be
1: wait. Is there? Oh, that is part of EGOT, right? Because you Emmy, yes. Grammy, Oscar, mm-hmm.
0: Tony. So, but is that the only? Is that the only one he's won? I don't know. <laughs> I he hasn't
1: won an Oscar or a Tony.
0: No, I mean he might win an. Um, I suppose he could win an Emmy because that's for like TV stuff. So maybe, and like his production company is doing films and things. So maybe he could win an Oscar, but a Tony would be. I'm not sure how that would work.
1: There could be like a like a one man show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just Barack Obama on stage.
1: he could get really into like a weird subject, like early 20th century aviators. And I guess that's not that weird. And write a play about it. And it could win a Tony. I'm just saying things can happen in this world.
0: I know there are a lot of things like Barack Obama being an EGOT winner is not like the weirdest thing that I could ever imagine. So yeah, but anyway, he's already won his Grammys. He might have a third. That's the news story we've got for you. So if you haven't listened to A Promised Land, could be award-winning. We'll find out. And so with that, uh, we will switch gears into new nonfiction, which is books we uh, that are come out recently or coming out soon that we are excited about. And I feel like I've been talking for a long time. So do you want to go first instead of me?
1: I knew that was going to happen. Therefore, yes. I am prepared. Great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So first of new books, I feel like we're starting to reach a lull in publishing, Mm -hmm. uh, which happens around the holidays. Like everyone sort of like shoves their books in um, in the fall, especially this year, because everything is still suffering from like a delay from
0: 2020. chains.
1: Yeah. I think we got a lot of releases throughout the year. But then now that it's early December, like for later December, my spreadsheet is close to empty so mm-hmm. that'll be fun but anyway for now we still have cool new books coming out and one of my picks is dark tourist essays by Hassan Thika sirusena this is uh it's just really interesting i talked about it in the non-fiction newsletter true story which if you have not subscribed i do wednesday releases and kim does friday but for this one she it's a series of essays as indicated in the title and it's a lot of I guess, juxtaposition of kind of like her life. And then with the title dark tourism, it's sort of like, here's something that happened that, okay. So for example, she is from like her, she grew up in North Carolina and there was a plane crash in 1961. That meant that there was a nuclear warhead buried near her hometown. So she talks about that. And then she also talks about that sort of coupled with her father's stroke which happened right after he married his, the author's mother's cousin, and he did it like secretly. So there's just like a lot, there's a lot going on, right? Where you've got this like buried warhead, and then you have this buried secret of her dad. And then she also uh, talks about her sexuality, where she identifies as bisexual, uh, but also says, that she's always sort of thought of herself as fluid. So it's like, you know, like, what does that mean? And then um, she also incorporates disability. She gets into Lady Windermere, which if you know of Lady Windermere's fan, it's like, it basically, if this sounds like it covers a lot, it does. And it's really fascinating. And I feel like I haven't, at the same time as saying, I feel like I haven't seen a book like this in a while. I feel like I say that a lot. But you know what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everyone is very different. And so this is this is maybe or should not be a surprise. So basically, if you like books about I was about to say family, but that's so general. (laughs) <laughs> that just not really say a lot. Okay, if you can handle a little bit of a darker memoir, if you like things split up into essays that have an overall theme, but you can like maybe do like one or two at a time because it's kind of heavier subject matter, and then also deals with things like returning to your homeland and uh, dealing with coming up into this sort of like queer identity and all that, like just sort of like forming yourself and like I don't know. There's just a lot of of large issues that I think everyone can relate to, but also these very specific things like this buried nuclear warhead, which I can't get away from. Then I think you would like this. And as with many books that I recommend, I really like the cover. So this is Dark Tourist Essays by Hassan Thika Sirisena.
0: Yeah, I'm really stuck on that nuclear warhead thing, too. Like That is a very, like, what? I'm very curious about that. How do you get rid of it? I don't know someone must know but clearly they like maybe don't because if they haven't done it already i, I don't know that is a detail um <laughs> all right uh, my first pick is um a little bit older but it was it just missed my radar uh, back in november so i'm excited to talk about it now It's called We Are Meant to Rise, Voices for Justice from Minneapolis to the World, which is edited by Carolyn Holbrook and David Murrah. Uh, It came out November 23rd from the University of Minnesota Press. And this one caught my attention because it feels like a very personal book, right? Because it is by University of Minnesota Press, it's out of Minnesota by Minnesota writers, which is why I'm interested in it. But I think there's something in it for other people too. So uh, it is a collection of essays and poems written by indigenous writers and people of color that are about the year 2020. So in Minnesota, Minnesota, obviously, and the rest of the world, that's the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic. But then also Minnesota, George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police in early summer of 2020. And that event sent, I mean, the whole global, like the justice movement across the United States really kicked off there. But it was really significant in Minnesota and I think has forced many Minnesotans to Really, s- more seriously, rethink like our place and, and what we thought about our state and our communities in a way that, like, we had not, or at least I had not before. Many people have been, but also many people had not. So, um, these contributors look at the uh, unvarnished truths, not only to the original and pernicious racism threaded through the American experience, but also to the kind of their deeply personal experiences of living in Minnesota during this time. So um, one thing I'm excited about the collection and is that it lifts up a really huge number of different voices. So um, I'm going to just le- read the list of cultures in the back of it because I think it's really impressive. Uh, it's, it has Indigenous, Dakota, and Anishinaabe writers, African-American, Hmong, Somali, Afghani, Lebanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Japanese, Puerto Rican, Colombian, Mexican, transracial adoptees, mixed race, and LGBTQ perspectives, which... I think it's just really exciting to know that we have so many different kinds of people living in Minnesota and that we can uplift and raise their voices and learn from them. So it has got a really just amazing list of contributors, um, author Louise Erdrich, Anika Ferrardo, poet Ed Bach-Lee, author Diane Wilson, Kao Kilia Yang, and many others. So I'm really excited about this one, particularly because of its Minnesota connections. But I think there's a lot to be learned from People in the Midwest from various perspectives and what their lives in 2020 were about. So, We Are Mentorized Voices for Justice from Minneapolis to the World, edited by Carolyn Holbrook and David Murrow.
1: Oh, that sounds really, really good. I don't know what it is about Feel I feel like Illinois has like a kinship with Minnesota, mm. <laughs> which is maybe Minnesota doesn't feel the same way. <laughs> but. <laughs> I'm like, yes, we are Midwest brethren, but I don't know. It's, it's, does Minnesota, Minnesota doesn't even border Illinois. It's Wisconsin, Iowa. No. Mm-mm. Okay. But it's right next to Wisconsin. So. True.
0: We are both next to Wisconsin.
1: I like that you're not answering that. Does Minnesota feel the same <laughs> way thing?
0: You're like, no, Nebraska. We're all, we're all the Midwest. I think there's some, there's there's, I mean, all Midwestern, I think states have a similar like city centers with. A lot of different kinds of people and then rural communities that have different politics and less diversity and how those two, like, interact with each other and some of that, like, Midwest repression and all of that that keeps us from talking about things. I love the Midwest repression (laughs) and the Midwest, like, occasionally
1: fake niceness, but sometimes Uh, real. Just depends.
0: mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. Anyway, for (laughs) – Anyone not living in the Midwest, sorry about this conversation. Uh, <laughs> my other new pick for this week is Deliberate Evil, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Daniel Webster and the 1830 Murder of a Salem Slave Trader by Edward J. Rinehan. Love this subtitle. We haven't had a good subtitle in a while, I feel like. So I wanted mm-hmm. to throw this that in. That's a good one. Also, mid-19th century America? Yeah, I'm going to talk about it. week. <laughs> <Like, laughs> So exciting. Okay, so in 1830, on April 6th, let's just be specific. There was a Captain Joseph White, who was an 82 year old shipping magnate, a former slaver. So he trafficked and enslaved people. And he was found in his bed. He had been stabbed 13 times. Basically, the actual mystery of who did it is not like they found out pretty quickly, like his grandniece married his rival's son. And then he so then he disinherited his grandniece and his rival went into bankruptcy. So they're like, oh, it's the husband of the grandniece and his brother. Like they're the ones who did it. But the interesting part is the trial. And that's what this whole book like that's what the subtitle talking about Daniel Webster and Nathaniel Hawthorne. Daniel Webster was the prosecutor. Um, After the the first trial was a hung jury, second trial, Daniel Webster's the prosecutor, he gives this summation that is considered this masterpiece of oratory to persuade the jury to convict. Nathaniel Hawthorne attended the execution, and the author's argument is that the trial inspired a character in The Scarlet Letter, and then influenced Edgar Allan Poe's works, which, so if you're interested in like 19th century American literature, which... Maybe you should be. I don't know. Uh, Then that, like, I feel like that alone is fascinating. But then also just, like, I don't know. (laughs) There's, like, also, like, the uh, setting in Salem, Massachusetts in the 1830s, which is, like, Salem is known, obviously, for the witch trials of 1692. But also, if you go there, which I obviously did, they have – they had a huge whaling industry. Like, it was mainly just this, like, seafaring – town. And so a lot of the houses are sort of built around that. And you, they have like all of this history around whaling and like people going out to sea. So that's why, you know, this is a ship captain who was murdered, because that was the occupation of many people in the town. Well, not captain, but you get it. Sea, sea things were. So kind of getting more of a context for Salem, but then also hearing about Daniel Webster, who I don't feel like we talk about as much as we used to in American culture, which sure, he was alive in the early to mid 19th century. I get why not everyone wants to talk about it. But then also bringing in Nathaniel Hawthorne. I don't know if this is your kind of thing, which obviously it is mine, then this would be fascinating to you. So I hope that uh, highlighting this is a delight. For those who are interested. And it is, again, Deliberate Evil, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Daniel Webster, and the 1830 Murder of a Salem Slave Trader by Edward J. Rinehan.
0: Okay. I have two two comments. First of all, I love books where it takes, like, a famous person and is like, did you know this famous person was at this thing? And here's how (laughs) this, like, thing might have happened and affected this famous person you already know. So that's what I I think about the Nathaniel Hawthorne part because um, also the Scarlet Letter is just a real... Bananas book and super weird. But then that reminds me a little bit of Furious Hours by Casey Sepp, which is about another like true crime trial that Harper Lee was connected to and how like this author that you know is connected to this true crime thing that happened. And I just think that's very fascinating. Oh, that's a good connection. Thank you.
1: Also, Nathaniel Hawthorne, kind of terrible as a person. (laughs) I'm just putting that out there.
0: I love some of his writing,
1: it's very good, but like, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, I'm not like real surprised to hear that. I don't know a lot about Nathaniel Hawthorne. I just I remember reading The Scarlet Letter, and I just it's like a it's like a soap opera except with, you know, adultery and but that's in I don't I just it's so weird. I love it.
1: He was very bitter about women authors uh, selling well, like popular uh-huh. women authors. He thought that their work was not good, and he said some violent things about them. So that was not a great thing to learn. But uh, I feel like it's important to spread
0: around. That's good to know. And I appreciate that uh, fact check on Nathaniel Hawthorne. Well, not really a fact check, just a piece of information. I appreciate that. Bit of knowledge. Bit of knowledge. Dropping knowledge everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, My next pick uh, takes a turn. Uh, It is Sea State, a memoir by Tabitha Lastly, which comes out December 7th from Echo. And I have to say, I've read a chunk of this book and I still cannot decide if I really like it or not. Um, but it is really interesting. And so that's why I want to talk about it because it's, it's fun to like be reading a book and not be really sure like how it's landing for you. So this book opens with Tabitha Lasley quitting her job at a magazine and leasing and leaving London and leasing an apartment in Aberdeen, Scotland, which is very close to, like, the offshore industry in Scotland. And so she, at the time, is in her mid-30s. She has just left a really bad relationship and is sort of just, like on the loose. And so she wants to write this book about oil rigs and the men who work on them. So she decides like, I'm going to go up there and try and do that because what she wants to figure out is what are men like when women are not around. And so she moves to Aberdeen and which makes me think South Dakota, but no, it's Aberdeen, Scotland. And she just like becomes really embedded with this whole community of oil rig people who like leave out of that community. And like often they like live elsewhere and then come there and then go out on the rigs for periods of time and then come back and go on with their lives. And so it is, the book is like two things at the same time. So like one is a look at like offshore life and men who work in like the offshore industry. So she does a lot of interviews with people who are on oil rigs and tries to understand sort of like, what is that like? How do different things like class and masculinity and desire and danger and all of that stuff kind of come together for people who work there. But then it is also a memoir about her personal experience where she um, becomes really uh, heavily involved with a guy named Caden, who is a married oil rig worker who spends three weeks on, three weeks off, and so then she, while he is back on shore, like starts this affair with him, and so she's having this affair with a guy who is also a subject of her book and who's also married and like, but it's very toxic and all of that, and so there's just like a lot of stuff going on, and I appreciate how like. Just like, really honest. She is about everything. And I really like the portraits of, like, the oil workers and, like, what she's learning about them. But, like, also it's very uncomfortable. And she's, like, very clearly making, like, very bad decisions for herself and for the people around her. And that's hard to read. So I'm, like, trying to kind of put those things together with this book, which is very interesting. So I have different feelings about it. But so far, it's at least, like, entertaining to read, even if it's also, like, uncomfortable so that is sea state a memoir by tabitha lastly so you're stressed out that she's not making good choices yes a little bit yeah yeah i like because you can see how bad they're gonna be oh like you just, sure you just know like it's gonna be bad uh, but like and i don't want i don't want that for her but it's happened so well that's very nice of you <laughs> just be
1: like I don't want that for this person in their memoir. <laughs>
0: well, it's like you want uh, – I don't know. It's just, its like an uncomfortable feeling as I'm reading, so.
1: Also, speaking of uh, Minnesota, I guess, having a different Midwest experience than Illinois, I don't think anyone except for a state bordering South Dakota <laughs> would think of South Dakota when they hear Aberdeen.
0: That's probably true. That's that, – You were yeah. like, of
1: course I think of South Dakota. <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? And I Google mapped it. And I was like, oh, yeah, there is an Aberdeen, South Dakota. Interesting. All
0: right. That's fair. That's fair. Before we move on, I wanted to just do like one other quick mention of a book that I haven't gotten to read at all, but that I'm really excited about. Uh, And that is Out of Office, The Big Problem and Bigger Promise of Working from Home by Charlie Warzel and Anne Helen Peterson, which is also coming out December 7th. And so this is a book written for office workers facing the decision about whether and how to return to the office. Um and so I am Helen Peterson writes a newsletter, an email newsletter that I subscribe to and she's been kind of in the email newsletter sharing some of her like research and interviews and pondering about the idea of like remote work and office work and how like whether people should be coming back to the office and like what that means and how we should be talking about making our offices more flexible and inclusive and how remote work promotes work-life balance and all of that stuff. And so... This is a book she's writing with her partner about all of that. And as a person who was remote working during the pandemic and has since had to largely return to the office, um, I'm interested in kind of their conclusions and ideas. So that's out next week as well. Um, haven't read it, but I'm excited about it. Out of Office, The Big Problem and Bigger Promise of Working from Home by Charlie Warzel and Anne Helen Peterson.
1: Oh, yeah, that does sound really interesting. I feel like I'm having a lot of conversations with friends about return to office and their varying feelings about it so yeah very very timely it's complicated complicated indeed all right let's talk about our second sponsor which is chronicle books publisher of money magic by jesse Susanna karnatz aka the money witch so do you like money do you <laughs> also like magic or more specifically witchcraft doing spells etc would you like to find a way to combine them okay So this then is the ideal book for you. It is a guide to personal finance featuring practical advice and mystical rituals designed to help you manifest your money goals. Wow. It is written by a practicing witch and financial coach, which I really hope it says that on her business card with more than a decade of experience combining witchy wisdom with financial know-how. So with this, you can discover how to assess your financial landscape, overcome emotional blocks to success, which I think a lot of people need, including myself. And create an action plan for achieving your financial desires, plus self-care rituals, confidence-boosting meditations that encourage a money-making mindset. You can take control of your cash with confidence and crystals, which is something I just love to hear. And then Overall, this offers a holistic approach to money management. It's written with warmth and humor. There are short, accessible entries, easy to follow sidebars to make finance fun and engaging. So if you are feeling overwhelmed by the idea of looking more deeply at your finances, you would like something that is more connected to spirituality, then... This is fantastic. So Money Magic by Jesse Susanna Karnatz, The Money Witch, uh, published by
0: Chronicle Books. Thank you for sponsoring. Excellent. That sounds super interesting. And I would not have thought to put those things together. But now I am very curious about how that works and what that might be. Let's combine it with everything.
1: (laughs) I just feel like let's have gardening. Oh, there is going to be gardening with witchcraft. I don't know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, All right. So, with that, we will jump into this week's weekly theme. We have decided to go with something completely non topical, and that is birds. Books about birds. Birds! (laughs) (laughs) Because why not? We can talk all about books about birds. So, um, my first pick is, I think, a little bit different than what I might normally pick. Uh, It is called What It's Like to Be a Bird From Flying to Nesting, Eating to Singing. What Birds Are Doing and Why by David Allen Sibley. And so this is like a bigger book. It's not like a text heavy book. It's a bigger book with lots of like illustrations and stuff that explores the most frequently asked questions about the birds we see most often. And so it is a book that is geared to non-birders as it is to people who are like out doing birding in the world. Uh, And it has information about more than 200 species including, and it has more than 330 new illustrations that the author has done. So uh, David Allen Sibley, I did some research he's done he's an ornithologist and he has written several um like Sibley guides to books so there are some about birds of like northeastern united states and so he's got a bunch of different ones and i think i think this is his newest one um which is just explains like what how birds do what birds do basically so like how birds have adapted to environmental change um how they like what their behaviors mean what like their different bodily features do and how they're like different and how so like different beaks do different things for different kinds of birds. And I picked this one because I was like, walking around the bird section of the library and I pulled it down because I was curious. And it is just, it's beautiful. He has these really beautiful illustrations. Um, It's written in like a non-technical way. So it's very easy to understand. You can like, even if you're not a person super familiar with birds, like the way he's writing is really understandable, but he's got a lot of like information in there that I think would help, even if you are like an experienced birder with like understanding all of that. This feels like a book, too, that, like, if you had a kid who's, like, you know, elementary to middle school who's super into animals, like, this is a book that they would want to pick up because it would, like, you know, it has lots of pictures and it's really fun to look at, but it also has a lot of really good information that might help them, like, with their reading skills as they're trying to, like, develop those a little bit. You know how, like, kids get super into a topic and then they'll, like, read everything about it. This feels like a cool book that could be for like a bird loving kid in your life. So um, just like a really interesting kind of overview about different kinds of birds with many beautiful illustrations. What it's like to be a bird from flying to nesting, eating to singing, what birds are doing and why by David Allen Sibley. Oh, dang.
1: I do want to add, as a side note, that because of the movie Bambi, I frequently say the word bird, like, bird, and it, I don't know my wife's feelings about it, but she,
0: uh, <laughs> She is your wife, so. Yeah. Must not she's, be too bad. Yeah, no, she's, she's sticking around.
1: But, um, it's definitely a thing that I possibly do too often, but I always think is a delight. Okay. <laughs> so okay my first pick is the home place memoirs of a colored man's love affair with nature by j drew lanham this is winner of the 2017 southern book prize and the read award from the southern environmental law center which i was like dang uh j drew lanham is a professor of wildlife at clemson university He focuses on, uh, in his research, he focuses on songbird ecology and the African-American role in natural resources conservation. He is from South Carolina and is on a lot of conservation boards. So in his memoir, he just mainly talks about... So the birds play a key chapter, which is one reason that I selected this, but um, sort of combines that with his love of nature and the South and specifically, you know, like the Carolinas. And it's just, oh, okay, let's talk about it. So his family is from South Carolina and has been there for a, for many generations, right? So this goes back to when they were enslaved, which he covers by talking about there's this complicated dynamic where he talks about how much he loves the outdoors, how much he loves nature and the soil and how great he feels about the rural South, but also, you know, he knows uh, that this land in particular is very associated with the enslavement of black people in America. And so like kind of what, those two things, like holding those two ideas is how he decided to switch his major from engineering to zoology, which resulted in him losing his scholarship and sort of like got more and more into um, nature as his career. The chapter that I think was excerpted on Lit Hub was Birding While Black, which starts with, it's only 8.38am and I think I might get hanged today, which talks about... How being this black man who is walking by himself with binoculars, it makes like you a target, especially in his area. But uh, as we know from last year, from uh, it was May 25th, yeah, 2020, that was when Christian Cooper was in Central Park and was um, filming that woman who was calling the police about him when he was uh, trying to birdwatch. So this is not... I don't want to sound like this is in uh, a phenomenon specifically located in the South. Obviously it is mm-hmm. everywhere in America, but he, his, in his experience, he is talking about his uh, life and how that hit this thing that he loves doing makes him uh, puts him in, in danger. It's just, I mean, obviously it deals with these very serious issues, but also this, this just deep love that he has And it. The, the writing is really gorgeous and it's, I mean, there's a reason that it's won all these prizes. So and it's not something that had been on my radar before. So I am really glad that we chose the theme of birds so that this could <laughs> pop up. So again, that is The Home Place, Memoirs of a Colored Man's Love Affair with Nature by J. Drew Lanham.
0: That sounds so good. I'm really glad you talked about that one. And yeah, just like the the sadness and complexity of people of color doing normal things that white people can do without any, any worry. And yeah, just that, yeah, that's very important. And so I'm, I'm glad you talked about that one. Um, my next pick is also about birding. Uh, it's called Field Notes from an Unintentional Birder, a memoir by Julia Zarenkin. And this is a book about a woman who in her midlife uh, comes to birding and what that is like for her. So she first sees a red-winged blackbird at the age of 35 when she kind of is in this process of like auditioning hobbies because she's going through this really stressful time in her life. And so she's kind of trying to figure out like, what can I do that will like help me relax and like give me something else to do besides worry about all this stuff that's happening. And so she decides she's going to try birding. So she like goes to a birding group and like comes and doesn't have binoculars or anything like that um, and sort of like goes out with them and then is like, oh, I don't really know if this is for me. And then she sees the red-winged blackbird and is like, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. And so then she becomes super obsessed with birding. And so she um, writes about what that is like and how she, like, goes from not really caring about birds to, like, being very obsessed with them and how she, because it's a memoir, she writes a bit about how she, like, sees herself as a migratory species like a bird because she was born in the former Soviet Union. She grew up in Vancouver and Toronto, but then also studies and works in both the United States and Paris. And so, um, you know, as part of an immigrant family, she kind of writes about that experience and how that Russian immigrant experience makes her think about the outdoors and how birding helps change some of those ideas. And, uh, it's just, it's really fun. I'm really. I don't know, like, I'm interested in people and the things that they're passionate about, right? That's Susan Orlean quote. And so this one's fun because it's about a person being really passionate about a thing that I don't know anything about and that I is isn't inherently interesting to me. And so I think she's just a really fun writer and is able to find a lot of interesting anecdotes in some of her experiences birding and learning to become a birder. So Field Notes from an Unintentional Birder, a memoir by Julia Zarenkin.
1: Um, I think it's funny that the bird that inspired her was... The red winged blackbird because those birds suck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with them. But not super.
1: There is a they nest along the Chicago lakeshore and yeah. they have a tendency to dive bomb heads. So if you see a red wing blackbird around here, everyone's like, <laughs> And they're like everywhere. Oh gosh. Anyway, I have a lot of I have a lot of red wing blackbird feelings. It's fine. So I'm realizing that I didn't choose any, like, super upbeat bird books. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, Tis the season. Times are hard. Okay. I chose H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald, which you might be like, hey, wasn't <laughs> wasn't that book really talked about, like, a year or two ago? And yes, it was. But I'm going to talk about it again because I feel like it's started to fall off the radar. So also, I don't know. I've been... Uh, I lost my mom a few years ago. I've been feeling with some, dealing with some feelings of grief again. And this book is very on that page, mm. kind okay. of. So it also just felt like the right vibe for me at the moment. So H is for Hawk. Helen McDonald is dealing with the sudden death of her father and who she was very close to. And so as her sort of way of dealing with that, she decides to try to train a, an English goshawk which is very famously difficult to train and they're very solitary and kind of like extra wild which bird like raptors uh, are terrifying birds like any kind of raptor my friend uh, deals with like bird rescue all the time and she had I think some kind of hawk in her backseat once like not able to get out but she still she was like the the hawk was looking at me Like out of the cage it was so scary (laughs) so um i can't even imagine working with these birds so uh, but she mcdonald has worked with them before this is just a a much bigger challenge and it's something that she wants to do is this way of kind of dealing with these feelings and at the same time she is reading this book by the author t.h white who wrote the once and future king which is about king arthur and his court uh, but he wrote a book called The Goshawk, which is about it, like his own attempt to, you know, like do this with this uh, famous, infamous bird. And so she does this parallel talking about, you know, her story and trying to train uh, the hawk who she named Mabel, trying to train Mabel with whites and just really like having this um, – I don't want to use juxtaposition again. So let's say side by side of <laughs> both <laughs> of them and talking about what I thought was really interesting was her kind of exploration into how much are we uh, projecting onto animals? You know, like how much are we saying like, oh, like I am like, you know, this thing. And they also were like very solitary. And it's like, maybe they're not. Maybe, you know, we're just like that. I was thinking about that when you were talking about field notes from an unintentional birder. Because she was talking about how she felt like, you know, these birds. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> we we just always want to be like, oh, I'm just like this tiny, cute hedgehog. And it's like, you don't know a hedgehog's life. It's... <laughs> But anyway, so that but a very sort of like heavier version of that. Uh, This is another book where if you are not in the right mood for it, um, you are not going to like it. But if you are up for kind of exploring some feelings, particularly around grief, then I would recommend
0: it. So H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald. I'm glad you talked about that one too. I feel like as much as like the holidays can be like a fun and exciting season, they also can bring a lot of feelings, and so sometimes a book about feelings can can be good.
1: Yeah, it can help you just sort of like work through them or exercise them or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that is a, I think that's a good pick. All right, so uh, with that, we will wrap up the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. Um, I'm taking a little break from nonfiction for my after I did my whole month of nonfiction. But a book that I have out oh, from the library that is on my list for soon is "This Is Ear Hustle: Unflinching Stories of Everyday Prison Life" by Nigel Poor and Earleone Woods. And so this is a collection of interviews and storytelling by people in prison. So. Ear Hustle is a podcast that the two authors have done. And so in it, they'd share stories of, um, it was uh, Ear Hustle, the name of the podcast, was the first podcast created and produced entirely within prison. And so This Is Ear Hustle is their kind of personal stories about how they came to San Quentin, how they created their podcast, and what has kept them kind of collaborating and working together. So I don't know, I saw this on a, a list somewhere, and it sounded really fascinating, so... I'm excited to grab it. This is your hustle: Unflinching Stories of Everyday Prison Life by Nigel Poor and Lone Woods.
1: Oh yeah, that's fun. I was had someone asking today about podcast recommendations, and I had some, but I was like, I'm just like haven't been not I haven't been listening to mm-hmm. podcasts as much recently, other than uh, I take that back. I've been listening to a lot of Wondery podcasts because I subscribed to their app, <laughs> so I feel like I have to get my money's worth. But um, so a lot of true crime stuff. But otherwise, no. And this is after I'd taken a break from true crime. But it seems I'm back in. (laughs) Ethical issues and all. All right. I am currently reading uh, some fiction, but nonfiction wise. I'm reading The Ancient Guide to Modern Life by Natalie Haynes, who wrote A Thousand Ships, which I believe was popular this last year. Um, Mm -hmm. But she has been a classicist for some time. And I think The Ancient Guide to Modern Life came out in like 2012-ish. She she does a lot of references to things in like 2006. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what's going on? And then I was uh double-checked the publication date. But yeah, she talks about um classical history, uh, what it teaches us about today and just sort of is also um kind of a lighter tone, not quite as much as Emma Southern uh who wrote Agrippina and it's not a funny thing happened on the way to the forum but you know the one about murder in, in
0: and <laughs> yes Rome. I remember
1: yeah it uses that title uh, but it's still it's still very uh, still very warm it's still very uh human-ish uh, which is a delight so yeah ancient guide to modern life by Natalie Haynes thanks for writing about the classics in a fun way Natalie Haynes. In conclusion, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time. Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing
0: audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. We would love it if you take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, it helps people find us more easily. And then you can follow us so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I am Kim Yukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.